Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up? Welcome to Comic Book Nation in this very special bonus round episode. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and I'm here with my co-host who started this whole show with me, Matthew Aguilar. What's up, everybody? And we are very excited today because the two of us get to sit down and talk about a movie that I think we've been more excited about than, you know, maybe some other people. But uh, we are here today to do a full spoilers breakdown of DC's Blue Beetle movie, which is now out in theaters. So if you are just stumbling across this podcast somehow or this video somehow, if you can't read the thing in the back of me over over here... It says uh, Blue Beetle spoilers. There's a big spoiler warning all over this. We called it a spoiler review and discussion. So <laughs> we've done our due diligence, but just in case there's anybody who's just somehow catching this out there in the airwaves, uh, we will be talking about Blue Beetle in full spoilers. If you have not seen the movie yet and you want to know what we think for some reason, please go listen to this week's regular episode, which is a Blue Beetle review and First impressions of Star Wars Ahsoka, there we talk pretty well about Blue Beetle without spoiling a thing. But if you're still with us, that's enough preamble. We are all here to talk about Blue Beetle and what we just experienced seeing that movie. Uh, Matt and I both had to go out and see it in theaters with, you know, the normies, right? We didn't have no special screenings. We made one of our own volition. The normies, you like that? Uh, it's just a, that's a little industry inside baseball joke, but no, we saw it with regular audiences and you know what? Uh, I'm happy for that actually in this case, because I, I really think this is a discussion where we need to take it out of the realm of just going to like a Warner brothers event or a press screening event and really talk about like what we saw in the theater in, in around us. So I do the official review for blue beetle on comicbook.com and you can go look at comic book, all one word backslash DC and uh, find our Blue Beetle review. I gave it 3.5 out of five stars. On the regular show, Matt said he would have gone 3.54, I believe was your range for this yeah. film. So that's kind of where we stand. And uh, the quick overview of what I say about it is that it is very much kind of in the formula of a 2000s or early Marvel phase one superhero origin story. Um, the same exact beats like strange intro about the object. Meet central character. Central character has some kind of twist that makes them get superpowers. There's a fight when they first get powers. Then there's some developments with their life and dealing with these superpowers. Then there's a fight in the second act as the villain comes for super person. Then there's some big rallying thing that has to happen for a third act battle, right? So it follows those beats. And if you've ever seen a superhero origin movie, then you've seen what Blue Beetle does. But at the same time, I also felt that the direction by... Angel Manuel Soto, the performances by the entire cast, the action spectacle, the comedic beats, uh, the family drama, all of these elements were well above average and well above your average superhero origin film. Um, and it distinguishes B Blue Beetle as, and I said this before and I got it and I did more thinking about it, but I think it's true. Like the only DC film in decades to nail 
being both just easily accessible, meaning no large continuity and who is who and which bet, like none of that stuff, being very fun and being satisfying as both like action spectacle with some kind of deeper core so it's not just hollow. And it nails all three of those things. So this is a good start for a DC superhero. And I said, and I think Matt, you agreed, that it's a character in a set of actors that do deserve to be recognized in the new upcoming DCU franchise. Can we all agree? Can we do we both agree on that one? Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about some good old spoilers of Blue Beetle. Matt, what was your favorite? What was your favorite part of this movie? Or what was the part where you kind of clicked in and was like, all right, all right, I because I feel like I, if anybody knows my career there, then you know what happened when I went to see Green Lantern, a movie I had been anticipating for years. <laughs> no matter what the problems happened with it, I was so deep into the rebirth and you know, Sinestro Corp and all that stuff. And then, but I saw that movie and I literally got up in the first five minutes and I was screaming like, this is terrible. I got to get out of here. And my friends yanked me down back in the seat and were like, shut up. Cause we were at a midnight screening and like it was packed. And so I was held hostage and my review, my one star review that I got death threats about Green Lantern reflected that it was like, I knew in the first five minutes, this movie was going to be absolute trash. And I wish I could have left. Um, but for me, none of, none of that in Blue Beetle. So I'm just curious because I have an answer, but when did you know that this was going to probably be better than your average superhero movie? Oh, uh, the, the scene, it's actually one of the first scenes, but essentially the scene where they're at the, the, the taco place, they're at the restaurant <laughs> and they're, uh, he's like, you know, they're breaking all of this information to, Jaime. <laughs> Jaime. Why? Oh, am I? Oh, I'm double screen. Oh, this is cool. <laughs> the, uh, uh, they're bringing all this information to Jaime and they're like, Hey, like we're like, we lost the business. <laughs> hey, we, uh, we're about to lose the house. Hey, like we're like, yeah, like they keep, he lost his job. Like they keep going through all these things and the way they're handling it. Um, there's a, there's a great, I think it's actually, it's, it's Jaime later on. Uh, it's when they get the beetle. And they're trying to get him to open it, right? Open the box. And they're all chanting and like, this is whole thing, right? He's like, you're so childish. I, I very much like relate to this. Like my family in a, in a lot of Spanish families, like the, the kind of way they interact is kind of like that. It's like, you're all brothers and sisters in a way, even though, you know, there's hierarchies to the family. So like that scene is very much like the way they're all interacting I was like, oh, they they seem I, I felt like right after that, I was like, OK, I know they got this part. And to me, that was the most important part coming in. You can screw up special effects. You can screw up, you know, uh, maybe a villain's not so so great or this and that. You can screw up all that. But if you don't get the family aspect behind me, you don't get you don't get Blue Beetle. Like you don't nail that. And so I was pretty comfortable after that point. I was like, OK, I know they got this. They might screw up other stuff, but they got this. I felt comfortable at that point. Um when I knew they had me, though, was was the actually the um, the conversation between uh, Jenny and Jaime when they're in the room. Uh, they're in like the estate house, like uh, Ted's estate house. And when he, when Rudy comes in and they're about to kiss and he goes, uh, oh, her mom died. <laughs> I went I laughed like I laughed so hard at that. And I went, OK. 
Like I, I've, I've endeared myself to the entire cast. Like we're, we're good. We're, we're good at that point. Yeah, no, I mean, we were talking before the show and I wish we hadn't because I feel like I, we wasted so much good dialogue on that. But uh, yeah, that it was early on in the, when the film and I was like, oh, I was like, oh, this movie is like a Latin, Latin movie, like for real, for real. Like they are going really. And like you said, the authenticity of it, um, the conversation. And that's not just a Latin thing that I think that's just a minority family thing was when they break yeah, the news sure. to them. Because my parents do that when we have literal arguments in my family, like my parents will wait until like everything's over to tell you like dad almost died the other this week. That's why yeah. we didn't hear. That's why we didn't hear you in the or we weren't messaging you in the thread. Yeah, your father almost died. I had to rush him in the hospital in the middle of the night. It was touch and go for a minute. But then they found out he had eaten the wrong or he's just allergic to strawberries now. So we're good. And I'm like, wait, what? And like, uh. Like, oh, my God, like, you know, yeah. well, I'm glad this wasn't like, you know, this wasn't the end, because then what would I do if you came back to me and were like, oh, yeah, we took dad to the hospital last night and he's dead now. Like, you know, oh, OK. Like, yeah. So that was a, I mean, that was definitely a minority family thing. Like, things are going wrong. We're going to endure. But like, you know, it's a bunch of stuff is happening. Oh, yeah. We're in the midst of all this crisis. But we wanted you to go to college and just like chill. We didn't want to upset you. And like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I thought it was really authentic because at one point the father literally just pulls out a random tortilla as a snack. And I was like, oh my God, it's like when they're getting the beetle, when I think it's when the beetle first activates. And like you said, when they're about harassing him about like opening the box and stuff, they're all like sitting around and dad just randomly pulls out like a, a sheath of tortillas and he just starts like munching on one. And I was like, I have not seen this since out of like South Florida or South California or outright Mexico. Like that, that's like detail upon detail. But, um, no, it was that authenticity that came through for me when I began to really kind of like sense that from the way, like you said, the family was interacting and how they just looked at life and dealt with each other. But I was like, OK, this is different and it's interesting and I'm invested in this now, which kind of makes me and I think we're gonna just going to jump around here. But it kind of brings me up something that we stopped our, our discussion on, which was I think while we both love the family aspect. And shout out, like, George Lopez, we said this in the regular show, but we got to remember recording two shows here. But uh, George Lopez is the best George Lopez I have seen in years. He yeah. is so Easy. hilarious in this movie. And it, it, he it reminds you that George Lopez can actually act if he's really, yeah. like, enthused and trying. And you, I mean, you kind of figure that out from the George Lopez show because there were like episodes of that that were heavy. I, I did watch the George Lopez show, spoilers. But oh, um, great. Yeah, I love that show. Like he, he can do that dramedy thing very well. And like if you give him a good role that's both kind of dramatic and funny, he, he can nail that stuff. And, he, and that, they put that to such good use in this movie because there yeah. are such things that he nails that are really ways that he makes the superhero hokey dokiness of this work um him i mean it, it looked weird in trailers but like him ranting like things like about how batman's a fascist and stuff it subtly kind of establishes that there is this universe that we are already right. in which is key to this film i think just kind of like yeah we're already in a dc universe that is formed where things happen where people know about these superheroes and it's all kind of just mundane life but yeah you know that we're in it and the world building in this is so subtle but so well done and it's characters like him who who are able to deliver those lines and really he pulls off this weird, weird thing about being like this kind of what do they call him at one point oh man they have like a great next one they call him the mexican like something or another 
Oh, I've, um, I'm probably came up with what it is, but yes, I know what you're talking about. They, um, yeah. They compare him to like a, like the Mexican Bill Gates or something like that. It's like something, something along the line saying that like he may, and, and he has this point in his character, but again, the dramedy of this, like he's funny most of the time, but when he is serious, it's so powerful. Like when he talks about how he has been overlooked with the, without ever yeah. being like heavy or overt, but because of who he is and his kind of like, you know, his race, his status, his low economic status, and, you know, just where he's come from and, you know, things he had to do, how people overlook him and his talents um, and how much of a genius he is actually. Uh, But they make that part of the story in a very, very like significant way with great payoff at the end, right? Like we were talking about the bug sequence on the radio show, which is awesome, but that's like also, that's the vindication moment for his character, right? Yeah. And how much he knows tech and how much he can do with it. Um, oh, my God. Seeing him do the like. So, like what you said, I think it's true, is that he's able to like scenes that would be awkward or, um, hey, we need to get this plot point in so we can get to the other thing. He masks so well, like when he makes the jammer, that whole sequence is hilarious because he's like getting his super jammer thing that he made on his own and he's 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 fitting things in there right about like well you know i cobbled the parts together i got this like it's not all the nice new chord stuff because it works like he's fitting in all the world building stuff and then he he it works like it does the job and like he's he's able to i i love the lines when he's uh when they're at the base and she she says oh it's alien he's like hey little little touchy with that word <laughs> maybe oh, let's yeah, not that, do that that made me uh, i snorted when he said that like that's just two good quips jackie chan with a splinter rat thing and in, in this like i love stupid word pun things like and that was so funny yeah he's like they're alien he's like oh, i'm not comfortable with that word <laughs> i'm not comfortable with that word you know and he's like uh and all the little things. he's so relatable but but i but i agree with you is that when he has to switch it doesn't feel like a switch it feels authentic when he's when he's consoling Jaime, that comes across as like a Theo, that comes across as an uncle being there for, you know what I mean? Being there for their nephew. And then it's so quickly transitions to him talking about how he feels like a failure because he's in this family. And, and then you get into all the stuff of like how he, you know, he was brought here by, you know, Jaime's dad, you know, by Alberto. And like, he didn't have to, but he came with him. And like, there's a powerful line in this that I love. And I've actually been like telling people, cause I actually talked to my mom about this and talked to some other people like, you should go see this. Right. And we get into some of that stuff. And I told her like, there's a line that I adore. And he's like, was it, is it hard to cross the border? Yes, it is hard to cross the border. You know, what's harder the next 20 years. And he goes into like, it's you, because of all the things you have to navigate and everything like that. And especially with a, with a family like this, where some are, you know, some are citizens, some are not. And it's this mix and you're trying to protect the whole and like how closely they bond. There's so much of that. He tells, he goes into that in all in that sequence yeah. and it flows from point A to, to C and then it moves back to Jaime and like, okay, let's move you to the next goal. It does it so effortlessly. And yeah. I just think it's, it's impressive. I mean, this is, this is the most, George Lopez knocked this out of the park. I thought he was fantastic through and through. Uh, he, it just brings a buoyancy and a, and a life to this. And I think all the family members do in their own way, but especially him. Yeah, the, the script by Gareth, Dunnett, uh, 
Al Soker, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I'm gonna butcher some names and forgive me if I do, I'm so sorry. Um, but the script for this is really good in the way that it, it takes so much of the Latino experience and doesn't, it, it's, it's woven into the DNA of pretty much everything that happens in this movie from the jump, but it's never overpowering and it's never too preachy and it's never too like, hey, this is a movie about, you know, our culture and our suffering. It's just in the characters. And like you right. said, there are these great, fantastic sequences that make this movie so much more serious and, and impactful than it would have been otherwise, right? If they just tried to say, you know, on face value, we're just going to cast a bunch of Latin actors, but just basically have them act normal and, and like not acknowledge their culture or anything like that. But no, it's woven into everything they do as culture is. And yeah, there's implications about the difficulties of of kind of illegal immigration or just immigration in general, the horrors that these people have escaped from and what they've seen and why it is, you know, later on, why they're able to handle some of the things they handle. Even, you know, Abuela, who in just one, it's, she doesn't even explain things because she, she does what an old person does, right? And this is an old black thing and an old Latin thing because of those times and the horrors that, you know, our grandparents saw, you often ask them like, oh, this, and they, and they kind of demur and they say, oh, you know, you know, I'll tell you about that sometime. Or, you know, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, because they're concerned about, because they did everything to get the family to hear and they're not trying to, you know, they're right. trying to get things ahead and talk about, let's talk about you in college and everything that's going on with you. And so that was very authentic. But like, she never comes out and has a deep speech. There's just this sequence where she picks up an alien minigun, is spraying people down, and she says one line in Spanish, no less. It is something like uh, death to the imperialist or yeah. something like that. Uh, death imperialistas. And that one line that she spits out says everything about her character and like who she was in before she came to America or had her, you know, uh, is it his mom's mom? I forget. His it, mom's mom. Yeah. yeah. Before she had like our daughter and like did all that and like what she had to do in the old country, basically, and the violence that she saw. And, and participated in apparently as a as a freedom yeah, fighter. I know. <laughs> and like when they're in the ship, and she's like, "Oh man, we need a where, show me the map." She's like, wants to see the blueprints, <laughs> plans, and they're like, "How do you how do you know that?" Like, and and the mom keeps going like, "Oh, well, this is a story for another time." Like, there's all yeah. those little awesome Easter eggs, and this is the same lady who like has her coffee stirred by yeah. someone, and who like is listening blissfully to her little Walkman sewing, you know, early in the thing. I, I mean, as, as someone who, uh, who's Walita and, and, and my Nana lived with us, uh, for a long, long time, it's very much like, it just, I don't know. It's just like, took me right back, uh, having them there. And then you asked them about their history and there's so much, yeah. and it's just, you know, it's like whole other lives. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was hilarious. She was great. No, same thing. My grandfather, sweetest man. Worked in a church all his life. Sweet man. Quiet. Never said anything. Used to have this one thing, this one like little uh, sheath knife that he slipped on his bed. One day I just asked him about it. And he told me a story about World War II in France and some stuff he had to do. And I just was like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 I was like, oh, my God. And I don't think I ever asked him again. I was like, OK. I got the picture after that. I was like, OK. But no, but like, <laughs> like I said wonderful things that kind of sketched out this 
not just the world of this movie, but all the characters who come feeling like they're real and fleshed out. And, and even the henchmen in this, we were talking about, Carpax, uh, yeah. Pax, who becomes Omac, and is played by uh, Raul Max Trulio, Trujillo. Um, yeah, just, he's just the story they add to him because for a while they imply throughout the movie that he has these deeper motivations. And he's a good actor if you've ever seen him in Mayans and other stuff. And so he does like a real serious kind of conflicted thing with him and his weird relationship with Victoria Cord. But when they get to the climactic moment of, I think, it's, is it Jaime when they're connected? He kind of sees into his head or like what yeah. he's been through. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he sees the horrors of what happened to him and what happened to his family and his mom and all of that. Like, again, this is a cultural touchstone without being too heavy or even like even broadcasting that this is specifically cultural but it's such a necessary piece to adding depth to that character and that actor's performance of that character that it makes you feel things on such a deeper level for what is supposed to be the dispensable henchman character right right um and yeah that was just so well done the way they added these sketches and 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 this kind of depth to the characters without overpowering things and even Jaime's dad from just physical Oof. example like I was just noticing like the scene where he dies and the, the kind of second act showdown outside Jaime's house which hilarious logistically be that nobody comes to that like an entire <laughs> house gets shot up and burned down there's no cops no fire people like yeah, neighbors yeah. are just kind of like oh crazy other day in the barrio and like and it's like yeah no I was like, uh, so some of that is very kind of hokey and the production values. I mean, obviously they couldn't probably cover the spread of filming Michael right. Bay style, like every precinct running out and all the cops hopping yeah. in the car. But I get that. And you don't need it really. Um, but yeah, just his physical action, the dad, the way he's like, he, with all the guns, he's still kneeling in front of the family and spreading his arms and saying all that stuff. It, like you get who these characters are from the story of what he did to bring his family over and then to see him in front, like, yeah, he never once like puts down his arm or is scared for himself. He's always like talking to the family. And even when they're going to shoot them probably. And this was like, I was like, man, I love this movie. And I love his family when he's just like, everybody's under the gun and, and every other movie, like the dad then cracks and goes, no, don't shoot my wife. Don't shoot my daughter. Like, you know, I'll yeah. tell you anything. I'll do whatever you want. And he's just like, he's like, no big a naughty a. And he's just like, we're not telling him nothing. He's like, all right, like, whatever it's going to be, like, we're not telling you anything. We're not giving up, like, you know, my son. And, and even when he's knocked down, right, when, um, uh, you know, Milago is on the ground, Millie is on the ground, and he falls, right, because he got hit, he gets hit in the face, and he gets hit in the face or the mouth or whatever, and he gets knocked down, and he, like, she's obviously, like, you know. Losing it, yeah. Emotional, yeah. And he's still, like, it's going to be okay. It's gonna be like, oh, yeah. like it's, I, I don't know. There was just something about I, I, I lost it at that whole sequence. There's that whole sequence, and like obviously we're in the spoilers, right? So when he dies, well, I was, I was like full on tears. I had like I was a mess. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, and I didn't expect it because like we've seen characters and families or like best friend or you know an ally or whatever die in, in superhero movies. Like we've seen that. Like sometimes that is used often used in the comics especially like as a catalyst for the person and that's why that trope gets so hammered all the time is because like hey we've seen that a lot whatever but here i just thought it was 
so well done. And, and again, it goes to the acting of the cast, right? Cause it's also how they deal with it. It's, you know, the whole family being there and seeing how the ripple effect hits them all makes it more impactful. And then, you know, that leads into, um, you know, not a speech, not even her speech, but her, she doesn't say very many words, right? But the words she say matter. And when she says like, it's, it, there will be a time to cry, right? She's talking to Millie, like that to not, now is not that time. Yeah, that was the Weird. most Latin thing I've ever heard because I've, I've heard that in my life and it's only ever come from older Latin women who have said that exact same set of words. There will be a time to cry. Now is not that time. Yeah. yeah. And they're and like, oh, like, man. But it all leads. It's so well well done. And yeah, I mean, this this movie had a couple moments where I like it hit me hard like that. They they really layer that emotion. In. And I think that's what balances all these some of the, you know, um, budget things or the sometimes the kind of 2000s feel to the like overall origin story and things like that we've seen before that is the stuff that balances it out so well and oh yeah that's why you know if you take that away yeah it's like uh oh it's a fun thing fluffy thing or whatever but that's the stuff that matters yeah there's a thing in superhero movies and anime especially anime and there's there's a lot of anime guyver feel in this version of blue oh, beetle yeah. Um, if you guys know that reference, the guy or like all that, um, in ever since they started launching this version of Blue Beetle. Um, and so there is a very anime-esque kind of scene where Jaime, of course, is at the end and they're trying to take the Scarab's power for Omac and he's in having this vision in his head of trying to unite and he's trying to unite with Scarab, which is a great sequence because it shows you like what's happening in his head, what's happening in the real world, how the family is getting near in peril and all this stuff is happening um, in this kind of simultaneous set of moments but the thing that got me and and you know had me blubbering and whimpering was the uh vision when he talks to his father because yeah. that was what's so messed up is like the father dies but he's not there which is so unusual for a superhero movie it's like it's got to be a dramatic scene like the father dies in the superhero's arms right but he's not even there he just he doesn't even know his dad's dead until he has this vision right which is again slightly cultural but like really profound in this but um just kind of knowing in meeting the spirit of your ancestor or your father, you know, like in Black Panther and stuff. Um, that that concept in him having that conversation with his dad in like, you know, that plane between life and death is what got me. And yeah, I think it's just that period in life that we're at now, like in middle age where you gotta actually worry about like losing your parents and things like that. But um yeah. Yeah, it was just, an, and it was also an example because I have to also think about the other side. We are fathers now and you realize like, you know, you may have to one day have a conversation with that. And that's the stuff I would want to tell my child. Like, you know, it's yeah. going to be okay. Like everything you need, like I'll always be here and everything you need, I already taught you and it's already inside you is like, that stuff is super duper important and powerful stuff at, at this age for me. And so... Yeah, I think weirdly like this was more resonant with me than a lot of other comic book movies I've watched because of that family stuff and what how that family it is sometimes as hokey as like my family is my strength. But in this, the way they kind of prove that in this movie right. is really significant. No, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and it, it it's, you know, I think um, while, you know, moving into like some of the Oh, and a shout out, by the way, a shout out to uh, to Becky G, who did Kajida, who was the voice of Kajida, uh, which I totally forgot when I saw the movie. And then, went, oh, hey, that's right. Um, 
But uh, I think the the sequences, that sequence particular between them, when like Kajida and Jaime are bonding and and they're they're talking. But I think that 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 sequence with the dad like leads into that so well about purpose and all those conversations because like you know uh, I didn't find my like career in life till I was actually older. Um, Anissa's kind of like same way. Like we're like you know it it took us a little bit longer to find like what we want to do or or what we're semi good at you know what i mean and so like some of those themes also resonate uh really well for this so i th- yeah i think they they handled that beautifully um you know i know you really liked victoria court yeah i was about to say oh man you're taking my transition i was gonna say let's get in something because we're talking very friendly here and we're all agreeing and we're shining praise on blue beetle but there were some things we didn't agree on and let's get to one of the biggest one which was uh susan sarandon as victoria court um, it's always kind of weird with these kinds of villains who are just kind of like the Lex Luthers, the masterminds. We can see if people don't like how they're portrayed, it, it kind of quickly goes down the tubes because there's not a lot to like think there's cool about them. If, if you're, if, if they don't have like a power suit or superpowers and they're not going to do a fight sequence or stuff like that, then, you know, what is the villainy? I personally think that I liked it because I know who Susan Sarandon is as a, as a person who is this like incredibly progressive liberal person. But if you need somebody like that to understand how to do, a, I think there's a lot in Victoria Cord that's very subtle and, and how she uses kind of her, what her weaponry of manipulation is. She takes everything that's like maternal and kind of um, nurturing, about like a woman and she uses she weaponizes it right like and she makes some choices and again there's some an offbeat thing about this movie that i love is like when she's talking to carapax in one scene and she's saying something to him that can really possibly piss him off and make him like even potentially you think feel like the tension of possibly hurting her instead of her like having some kind of like dog leash or like oh i can turn you off whenever i want what does she do she like grabs his big crushing metallic hand and she places it like right over her own heart. And she's like, looks him right in the eye and she says, remember, you like, remember how well I've taken care of you? You know, how well I've done for you. And I feel like there's a level and kind of commentary. Like I said, there's a, like we are able to pick out the kind of cultural touchdowns to this. I feel like there is another kind of layer to her performance, which is out of this kind of, you know, white lady, very rich, who's kind of exploiting these things and these people. Uh, I love, uh, what's his name from um, What We Do in the Shadows role in this? I think Harvey, oh, uh, uh, Harvey Gullion, yeah. like whose entire purpose in this movie is to kind of, I think he was added even cast late in this. And I think it is to, to help convey like what the storyline behind her character is and her performance and who she and what's really wrong and rotten about her is his whole thing. She just keeps calling him Sanchez. Dr. Sanchez. Yeah. And he keeps he's saying, like, I'm not San- Sanchez. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And that whole running gag and then like, oh, we can get another Sanchez. And it's like, that's how she really views these people mm-hmm. and this culture and this family ties and all that stuff. She doesn't care about any of that. And she's a sociopath, like a pure sociopath. But 
I think Susan Sarandon does a sociopath really well in the sense that you almost believe that she's really genuine when she's saying these crazy things that she's saying. Like, oh yeah, like, you know, uh, we'll burn them down. Or when she's just like, oh yeah, kill them all. Like, you know, just kill them all. And it's, it's so sociopathic that, you know, it's funny that it's not too, you want to say it's like cartoonish villainy, but we were just having an argument about a guy who just made the decision that Twitter shouldn't have a block function anymore, right? Yeah. Crazy billionaire who just decided, oh, people who have purposely shielded themselves from possible hate or, you know, harassment should not have that shield anymore. And just decided that for us all. And like how crazy that is that we are living in a period where that can affect us completely on a social level, right? And so I think she's kind of playing towards that same kind of persona. And it really did work for me. Like, I really did like it. Um, I would love to see, I think it would have helped, and we'll get into the Ted Cord of all, all this, because I know you murked out from all these Ted okay. Cord references and things, but um, we didn't get to see the kind of dichotomy between her and Ted and, like, what made them different, right? And so, like, I think that part was missing, but um, I liked her as that kind of Musk-esque sociopathic billionaire Karen lady. I think she nailed a lot of different things in that performance. Um, and I think that it was more subtle and layered than she will probably get credit for. But that's just me. Let's hear why you did not enjoy it. Well, here's the thing. I actually agree with you on a lot of that. I mean, I, I just there's parts of it that like just felt kind of typical. Um for for that type of villain that type of like mastermind you know behind the scenes thing it was executed well and i think she did a good uh, actually my, my favorite stuff is actually her in her interactions with jenny uh because i actually really liked uh bruna as jenny cord a lot um yeah but uh, those interactions to me showcased that the most and so especially like towards the end of the film and stuff when they kind of get into it more um and they have like whole conversations and even when jenny i actually think some of the best stuff is when uh jenny relates um is like jenny relates to hold on one second <laughs> you do handling things you got a you got a little person if you guys are wondering, yeah, Matthew they Aguilar. Came, they just came in. Uh, uh, so um, so I'll make my, yeah, they just came in for the thing. They've been great, though. <laughs> so, uh, uh, no, but I think actually some of the best parts about um, Victoria's character actually come through when Jenny is explaining their past to Jaime. Like, there's that whole conversation that happens, and she's like, she's telling him about, like, what happened, like, her not getting the business it going to Ted instead. And he's like, Oh, that sucks. And she's like, yeah, that's it's sexist as anything. Like she's, I, I actually like that. Cause it like, it, yes, it doesn't endear you to who they are now or their actions, but there was a little bit of like, Oh, she got wrong too. Like she, yeah. she kind of, you know, got a lot of stuff. I thought that was the strongest case for her. But when it just came to like, and her interactions with care packs, I really liked too. I just kind of, some of the stuff in between, like, just didn't quite, you know, like, click as much for me. But I agree with you on a lot of it. And there's also a subtle thing that they don't explore in the movie that, like, her specific kind of angst with, like, Latin 
people and all that also has to yeah. do with the fact that Ted Cord obviously right. like married or fell in love and had a child with a Latin woman in this version of things. And that like she always is kind of talking to Jenny in that kind of weird way. And somebody who has mixed children, like, you know, it can get weird sometimes, yeah. right? And, you know, whether it's even people smiling and saying, talking about their hair or their appearance or something like that. And it can get weird. And you get those weird vibes from her that there is like yeah. kind of an aristocratic family history thing that Ted Cord was kind of, that she not only like resents the sexism of like her being qualified to do this and not getting the chance, but that they gave it to a guy who was like Mr. Eccentric, married this person, yeah. put on the underoos, went out and crime fought and did all this other kind of sillier stuff that she's like, no, we could have been just making money and like doing yeah. stuff. Like he wanted to be Batman. Yeah. And I wanted to run a business. Exactly. I wanted to make money. Um, and then that ties into Carapax's scene, right? Because we see the missile with the cord name on it, like the bomb and stuff. Like, so it, it all ties in because like Ted wanted to move away from weapons. And I actually really, while I would have loved to have gotten more of that backstory, I feel like it is actually kind of hard without Ted there. And Ted's not in this movie until the very, very end. And it's a you know, the screen, right? So like, it's not like without him, I, I, I hope, you know, the, the implication would be that she's dead. <laughs> um, it, you know, big thing, go boom. She's right in the middle of it. You would assume, uh, but this is the world of superheroes and comics. So you never know. Right. But I think it will be interesting to see how that's reflected. If we get a sequel with Ted, because I, I did think they did a lot there through Jenny again to kind of build up like, who he was she there's this pride she has about her dad and you see it when like she's showing them the bug or hey you want to see my dad's weapons like she's showing all the stuff and she's like there's a pride there and then they have that conversation earlier and she's heartbroken and it's also very authentic of like when you bottle up something that long and you finally have someone to talk to about it so like there was i i thought they did a good job it was super cool being in the the base and seeing the suit, you know, especially the classic suit and them referencing the lineage, the lineage and stuff. Um, but I, but I agree with, it. I think that I would have loved to see more of that, but also that kind of ties in, you know, you got to have something for a sequel, right? So. Well, yeah. So let's talk about, let's start opening this up. Cause you know, we, we said at the start, like this cast and I would bring back pretty much everybody on this cast and this whole vision of Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle into the DCU. And I think this movie and whether they had to refit it and do it or whatever they did, they did a good job of, yeah, they mentioned Batman, Wonder Woman, all these people, but like no specifics, right? So no specifics on like, oh, they stopped Steppenwolf and like all of that. But, you know, we, we still have enough room to work. And I got your super secret message on the side, Matt, and we will wrap up this time pretty soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's... So all of that is there, but they also open in the, like we said, this movie did a good job of painting and shading in stories and larger universe things that I would love to explore. So at this point, like, I hope they keep this. Like, I want yeah. them to work off this. I want to know where Ted went and like what happened in what, who, his days as Blue Beetle in uh, Victoria Cord and all that. And like, I hope they tie it into Booster Gold TV series. I mean, because that's an easy thing to do. Like right. wh what happened? Well, if he's been mucking around with like time and space with Booster Gold, there's all kinds of ways he could have gotten lost, stranded and done all that stuff. Right. So I hope they keep this as this as the DC 
use stuff because there's a lot to work from here. And like, yeah, I want to know like all of this backstory and see more or even just see something that shows me it doesn't. And I can imagine Susan Sarandon being one and done. But I would love to see, like I said, something that touches on the history of Ted Kord's Blue Beetle and his sister at their younger ages, you know, recast with another actress, but get into right. all of that and like what's happening. Because, I mean, if that's an episode of Blue Beetle or of uh, Booster Gold, I'd be thrilled with that. Like, and it's an easy tie in since those two are like supposed to be like really good friends. And so, right. There is a lot to work from here. And I, and I really do hope that James Gunn and them, even if this movie doesn't do well at the box office, like look at it, recognize the strong points for what they are and bring those forward because there is a lot of this that is what you want to see in the DCU going forward. Like I said, I think I said being fun, but being also emotionally powerful, having impressive action, but also nailing kind of like the larger universe mythos stuff without being too complicated and just knowing you're in that sandbox and not complicating it. So yeah, I hope they get into and they just put some pins in some of the stuff that's referenced in this movie and come back and use it for the larger universe. But that's just me. Do you think they should just kind of soft reboot this, like just bring everybody, but pretend this movie didn't happen or was part of the no, old one? No, not at all. I think they should absolutely. There's, they they teed it up so well. And you and like you said, there's there's avenues to do it, even if you don't want to do a sequel. If you can't say, you know, depending on how much it makes, if it's not financially viable for you, to make a sequel, then okay, move the family or keep the cast, move them over. You have Booster Gold there, but also his character fit can fit in so many places. They've shown it in the core comic series. Like he's mingling with Superman and Batman and Starfire and all these different characters, and it's it's seamless. It's fine. He works with a lot of different characters. He kind of like Spider-Man in that way. Like you can throw him with a lot of other characters and he just works. Because everyone works with Spider-Man. doesn't matter. Um, so I think if you can't do that, because there's so much room for Ted Kord, I want to see what happened there. I want to see where he is, what happened to him. The, the different scarabs. We didn't even touch, like, the movie doesn't even touch really on the reach and any nope. of the things that Kajida that are intrinsic to the scarab itself uh it doesn't you know obviously since then we've had new beetles you know uh matilla and uh dynasties like join and there's and there's more right so there's so much room for growth so keep it keep it i mean i can't it's one of those things where we talked about a lot with like miss marvel when like yes i'm excited for the marvels because I'm, i want to see miss marvel interact with captain marvel and monica but then also i'm so excited to see them interact with the family this is the same way. Uh, whatever Superman legacy ends up being or Batman or any of these other movies that are in the works, I'm so excited for those characters to like come to the Reyes house for just a couple scenes and see how they interact. You know what I mean? Like someone tries to take, you know, Rudy's, you know, truck taco out for a ride and like you see all the other stuff like I can't wait for that. So I hope they don't. I Whether we get a sequel or not, I hope this group stays intact it's worth it all right is there anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here with your blue beetle uh review uh the i for those who didn't listen to our our first thing the vix scene had me rolling uh <laughs> the vix i i laughed out loud when that happened um there's i was ripping vix vapor rub on my kids last night yeah there's so it's so it's such a great scene and there's just so many of those moments uh throughout this movie i 
encourage you to go see it or at least watch the trailers and give it an honest shot. Uh, but I think you'll have fun. This was fun. It was it was nice to uh, come out of a DC movie and have that energy and feel like, oh, yeah, that was just like a really good time. So definitely go see it. Yeah. And something different, not just a Marvel clone, like something distinctly different. So absolutely. Yeah, who knew? I mean, I mean, I feel like it's going down with a quiet thud here, but uh, uh, we, I didn't expect this would be the way we got into like high praise of the DC franchise. We all put our eyes on Flash, but really, kid, Blue Beetle's the one that's kind Blue of Beetle, pulling baby. it off. So go see Blue Beetle. Like, that's our recommendation. It is worthy of seeing on a screen. I enjoyed seeing it with a crowd. People laughed at the, like, we were all laughing at the right times. People felt like powerful emotional moments at the right times and like a lot of the spectacle and stuff. People were sitting up and nobody seemed like they had a bad time. So I encourage you guys to go check that out. Otherwise, check in with us regularly on Comic Book Nation every Friday when we do our regular live show. We cover all things geek culture, not just the kind of specific topics in these specialty episodes. We do Marvel, DC, Star Trek, Star Wars, anime, Power Rangers, wrestling. We'll even talk about what's going on on Twitter or if some crazy snack food drops. We do all things geek culture, which is the whole MO of comicbook.com. You can also find me and Matt's work on comicbook.com, including a bunch of stuff about Blue Beetle, which I'll be working on the rest of the day. This has been Comic Book Nation. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to our YouTube page, and uh, we'll see you on the regular show. You can follow me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. And thank you for tuning in for our Blue Beetle discussion. See you guys out there in the new DCU. Peace. This is.